Tested catch. This is episode 29, and more importantly, this is the start of season two for Contested Catch. Now, last you heard of us, hopefully you tuned in to episode 28, the finale of season one. Uh, you know, we were wrapping up the year. We finished with our Super Bowl and Super Prop coverage and had a really good run of it. We, we uh, really enjoyed that episode. We were joined by Backdoor Burt and uh, Bronnie Betts themselves. But today... I'm joined by our co-host and data specialist, Jeff Gould, with us as usual. Jeff, how are you, sir? Well, great to be back. Uh, can't wait to start going into the draft and combine. One of my favorite meaningless events as a uh, well-documented gym class warrior. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, man. I mean, the NFL Combine, that's what we're previewing today. Uh, we're, we're recording this on the 23rd. And the Combine technically starts, you know, coverage kind of starts this week, uh, starting Monday. And the real events start, I think, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So that's when you're really going to want to tune in. This will be a, a good culmination of where our heads are at for the Combine, who to watch, what's important. And just so you know, if, in case you didn't catch the season finale, we are going to have a variety of NFL draft and NFL offseason coverage leading up to the draft and before the summer really gets underway. Um, that's very exciting for us. We're both big, you know, off season guys. Jeff and I are talking all off season about what the bills need to do guys that we love in the draft, that sort of thing. So anyway, uh, without further ado, as we always say, Jeff, let's get into it. So, um, starting with a quick recap of episode 28, this, what a Super Bowl that was. We're not going to go into, you know, hopefully you watched, if you're, if you're listening to this, you probably watched the Super Bowl. Contested Cat's very own backdoor Burt, Brett Singer, he predicted the score, the victor, and the Super Bowl MVP perfectly when we asked him to at the end of episode 28. So kudos to you, Brett. Uh, 31-20 Chiefs with Mahomes MVP. That's what he said. That's what happened. Congratulations, and congratulations to anyone that followed backdoor Burt's lead. Um, now, with 2019 in the rearview, like we said, we're officially moving on to season two and the start of it with the NFL Combine. Jeff, we're going to be talking about this class as a whole, uh, specific player position groups as well, players to watch at this combine, drills to focus on for each position, and more. But let's start with currently your favorite pre-combine prospect on offense or defense, someone you're going to put your stamp on before testing even begins. So the guy I think I'm way higher on than like uh, public or market right now is Jalen Ragor. He is the uh, wide receiver coming out of TCU. And I think he's going to really, like, blow up onto everyone's radar after the workouts. Um, I think Henry Ruggs is going to run the fastest 40 there. But Regor has a really good chance to be, like, right behind him and run, like, in that low 4-3 range, which basically any other year would be eye-popping. Um, but he's really flying under the radar right now because he only had 611 receiving yards last year. But it's really, he was just held back by a terrible TCU offense. Uh, his sophomore year, he had 1,061 uh, yards on 72 receptions. And even as a, a freshman, he still had uh, 
uh, 13% target share. So um, you know, he's coming out with 36% dominator rating uh, in the Big 12. And uh, in high school, too, he ran track and field. And he almost broke Marquise Goodwin's high school national long jump record. So that's the type of freak athlete that we're talking about. He's going to run it's probably a sub 4.35. Um, I don't think he'll get below a 4.30, but sub 4.35. And he's going to absolutely annihilate the uh, vertical and broad jump test. Yeah, man. Regor is someone that has been shooting up. Uh, mock drafts and rankings and all that. But like you said, you're still probably higher on him than the public is at the moment. The combine is something that's right up his alley for his skill set. So totally spot on there. Um, for me, my guy, as I kind of alluded to in the last couple episodes of season one, is Isaiah Simmons. This guy might be the most versatile player in the entire draft. He's basically positionless. He could play safety, big nickel, inside or outside linebacker, potentially even cornerback. This guy is an absolute freak. Per PFF, he played over 100 snaps at five different defensive positions in college. 116 at outside linebacker, 299 inside linebacker, 262 slot cornerback, 132 free safety, and 100 even for strong safety. As PFF said in their graphic when they debuted that stat, there is no NFL comparison. And the significance of this is that this would allow Isaiah Simmons to be the ultimate chess piece on defense. This guy is six foot four, 230 pounds. They think that if uh, they were, you know, the drafting team were to ask him to play inside, he'd beef up to something around 250, be like a Tremaine Edmonds, someone that Jeff and I know and love as the centerpiece of the Bills defense. Uh, but this guy also has the versatility to, to play on the outside, play up top at safety. So for the sake of discussion, because there is no NFL comparison to what he's done in college, I related him to three different guys, a kind of a combination of the three. And they're three guys that I loved all of their respective draft class years. Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Devin White. All three are hyper versatile. Derwin was sort of a safety linebacker hybrid at six foot two, two fifteen. could have beefed up. Instead, the Chargers do did with him what most teams should be doing, which is using safeties as linebacker types so that their coverage uh, is, is we're, we're leaning more towards being better in coverage than in run support. It's not like a safety can't tackle either. Uh, Minka, Fitzpatrick that is, cornerback safety hybrid, six foot two oh five, basically can play anywhere on the field, but you don't really want him in the box too, too much. Uh, and, and Devin White, one of the fastest linebackers we've ever seen at six foot 234, 100th percentile 40 time at 442, 99th percentile speed score. White went 105. Tampa Bay scooped him up right there last year. Minka fell to 11th overall. Now I say fall because people were thinking he was going to be like a Denzel Ward going top five, fell outside of the top 10. And then Durbin James fell even more to 17th in part for those two guys who fell in part due to their versatility. This makes no sense to me. You'll hear me talk a lot about how versatility should be prized in the NFL these days, not dismissed. We'll get to that down the road. But anyway, Isaiah Simmons, six foot four, two thirty, transitioned from safety to linebacker in his sophomore year, then won the Butkus Award for the nation's best linebacker in 2019. This guy's a freak. He's a fit for any defense, any scheme. Can keep an offense on their toes with his versatility as a chess piece. He can stuff the run, cover running backs, tight ends, slot wide receivers, big wide receivers, fast wide receivers. He can rush the passer, tackle in the open field. Jeff, what else could you ask for? Isaiah Simmons is the dude. And 
I think he's going to be, he should be a locked in top five pick. I think the Lions would be well justified to take him third. Uh, just with the positional importance of edge, I'm okay if people keep Chase Young above him. But Isaiah Simmons is, is the guy that I'm most smitten with at this point for those reasons that I listed. Now, Jeff, a guy that we neither of us picked, but I know that we both love him. He's a little injured at the moment. LaVisca Chenault, someone we both like, the Colorado wide receiver, if you can even put a position on him. He is reminiscent of, what did we say, Jeff? We said he's a combination of Debo Samuel and Sammy Watkins in a way, yeah. just by body type. And he's got that versatility like Debo. Yeah, I mean, um, he he was, like, lined up all over the formation at Colorado. And I, he's one of those guys that you just manufacture touches for in your offense. Even in the red zone, they would just line them, or like, especially inside the five, um, line them up in the wildcat. And he was their goal line guy. They run jet sweeps with him. Um, so, you know, quick screens. And he downfield, he's 6'2", 220, and he just bullies wide receiver or uh, defensive backs. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's uh, just going to be a baller. And, I mean, as long as, like, the groin doesn't flare up this week, I also think he's, like, it's kind of, like, a lot of kind of ambiguity onto how he'll test. Like, some people are like, all right, he'll be, like, ballpark 4-4. But there's others saying he could, like, get under into the 4-3 range and just, like, you know, really put himself to the top and just almost be, like, the best athlete, like, prospect at the wide receiver position since Julio which would be absurd. Yeah, that would, I mean, obviously he would be in contention for wide receiver one at that point if his testing was that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure he'll do quite that, but I mean, I think he's going to have a really good week as well. Right. And put himself probably into like the top 20, top 25 range. He's one of the guys I'm most excited to see and hear people talk about. Um, and now the other thing about LaVisca, the reason I bring him up is because he's basically the offensive version of Isaiah Simmons. Like, Last year, I was talking about Debo. I'm a Gamecock fan, so I'm a little biased there. So I always try to caveat that. But with that said, Debo's versatility just struck me as so valuable. And for him to end up in San Francisco, perfect landing spot. He had a really productive rookie year. He killed it in the Super Bowl, obviously, to no avail. Um, But anyway, LaVisca should definitely be on your radar. This guy, just watch some highlights, man. This guy can absolutely do it all. Um, before yeah, I mean, he, he would be a better running back than most, just strictly yeah. as a running back, he'd be better than most guys in this draft class. Exactly. I kind of look at him like a Cordero Patterson who can actually play receiver. I'm like, like, hey, Patterson's the greatest kick returner of all time. Well, I'm, I don't even think LaVisca's on his level potentially for kick returning. You have to be a special type of player to have the vision for that. Um, but anyway, moving on. Uh, before we get any further with any particular prospects we want to talk about how much does the combine matter we want to put this entire conversation that's to come in context and let's just start with Ruggs speed henry Ruggs the third his speed jeff is a perfect example of how you should not overreact to combine results and why is that so make we know these guys are fast already to varying degrees we know henry Ruggs can run a sub four three and he had like a faster clocked game speed this year than anyone in the NFL did. Likewise, we know T. Higgins, we're, we're pretty sure he's like not that fast, and he's a 4'6 to 4'65 guy. So like these, uh, this is already like baked into their prospect models and into the mock drafts. So like 
when Ruggs comes out and runs a four two five or something, he shouldn't be moving up your board because you like because he ran a four two five. If he does, that means you're either overreacting or you just had a terrible prospect model on him with regards to his speed to begin with. So like a good example of this last year was DK Metcalf. He came out and he absolutely murdered the forty and he ran a four three three at at two twenty and everyone just shot him up to like he was getting mock draft top 10 overall and the thing is we if you actually you know were creating your profile right you already knew he was fast i mean i don't think anyone knew he was 433 but you still knew he was like a 44 slightly sub 44 guy so you shouldn't have really changed things that much just because of how good he did and then of course you go and you see him just absolutely fail the uh, agility test and then he just plummets down so um yeah, it's just like these things are really should be already baked in. And it's more like if somebody deviates strongly from what you expected, then yes, you adjust. But for the most part, it doesn't shouldn't have like uh, caused that big of changes um, to the rankings, especially for like top guys. Yeah. And, and the other thing is a lot of people act like the combine kind of wipes out everything that we've seen in their career and everything you see on tape like. We're both analytics guys. We both believe in the power of numbers and the value in seeing things that aren't necessarily on tape uh, quantified. But with that said, we've got some great examples here. Before I get to that, an NFL best practice per Daniel Jeremiah is to set your board before the combine uh, actually gets underway. And that way you're not going to overreact necessarily to the combine's results. So the way to apply this is uh, to, to look at this situation and be like, okay, I think Orlando Brown is a really good player. He was a great blindside protector at Oklahoma. I think he's going to be fantastic. And then he comes out and absolutely shits the bed at the combine. Uh, Orlando Brown had one of the worst workouts of all time. He scored one percentile or worse. That means one first percentile or zeroth percentile. I don't even know how to say that. In four out of five metrics, that's on playerprofile.com. And fifth percentile was his peak in agility. Amazingly, um, he fell to, to the third round, 19th pick of the third round to the Ravens, which was his father's team. And he was a relative steal. As a rookie, he only allowed three sacks and three penalties over 1,100 snaps, which was fourth most. By contrast, Darnell Savage, a guy who kind of came out of nowhere with Maryland. He was an interesting prospect. He was on my radar, but I had no expectation he was going to run a 4-3-6-40. And with that score almost exclusively... Like he had, he was a good prospect, but probably like a second, third round kind of guy. With that four three six, he vaulted up to pick twenty one overall by the Packers, which was a reach by my estimation. So those two guys are a good example of how teams. You know, the other thing about the NFL is they're not going to draft optimally all the time. We saw DK Metcalf fall to the end of the second round. Look what he did rookie year. If, if it was a exact science, you know, you wouldn't need guys like like you know Daniel Jeremiah or Mel Kiper making uh, you know draft takes, so to speak. So, more of the story, don't overreact. Um, but with that said, the combine still does matter for certain positions more than others. And and by my estimation, this is how I see it. And I'll give some justification here. Jeff, feel free to chime in uh, if you have anything to say on that. Sure. Yeah, I just have uh, one more thing to add to that, too, is where, it yeah. does, where this does matter is um, really it helps to compare different levels of college like in the conferences you know if you look fast on tape in the sec like you're probably going to test well 
is kind of more for like those mid-conference guys who look faster than their competition, but you're not exactly sure maybe how fast they are because maybe they're just the fastest slow person. Like like Devin Singletary, he looked pretty good, like quick on tape at FAU, but it's because he wasn't playing the same level of athlete. And so like one guy, other guy I want to mention too that I'm really keeping my eye on this week is Kyle Duggar. He is a Division II safety who was like really kind of under-recruited coming out. He was like, I think he was like 6'2", 185 coming out of high school. And he's, you know, like 220 something now. And apparently, yeah, he's just kind of come on my radar the like the last week or two. But he's really an intriguing prospect and was just an absolute animal this year. Like every single NFL team sent a scout at least once to watch uh, their team play, a Division II school. The Bills sent somebody there multiple times. So... Um, you know, that's the type of prospect where, okay, he's clearly the best athlete on the field, but he's playing Division Two. What does that mean? How good of an athlete is he going to be with everyone else? So he's somebody who could really, if he comes out and has a great combine and test well of all the measurables to say, yes, he looks the, the best athlete on the field because he is a freak athlete and belongs to the NFL. Or he's like, no, he's like an average NFL athlete. He was just playing with like subpar competition and that made him look really good yeah Duggar is a really interesting prospect Jeff was the one who pointed him out to me six foot two 215 that's the exact same measurement as Derwin James um I think this is definitely a guy we got to keep our eye on and he's going to be one of those trendy uh small school guys that everyone is going to end up wanting because of how great a story it is um so getting to what where the combine matters for which positions I would list these three as it mattering more. And which exercises, too, kind of. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. we'll highlight that. So for, for wide receivers, cornerback, and interior D-line, that is what I have identified as a combine mattering more. Specifically, wide receivers and cornerbacks, this is kind of intuitive, right? It makes some sense. Wide receivers and cornerbacks at the NFL level, we're going to get their right measurements at the, at the combine. We're also going to see how fast they can actually move on an NFL field. You know, and we're going to see them actually go out and catch balls and, you know, drop back. So I think the combine is super important for those two position groups uh, of really twitched up athlete who might have had subpar film. When you when you're running like, you know, four, four at six, one as a cornerback prospect, that's going to get it's going to get on guys radar. Even if you had bad film, you're probably still going to get a look in the in, on day three wide receivers. You know, if you're five, nine or five, ten. But you're like someone like Jalen Regar, who we're expecting to run in the four threes potentially. Uh, this is this is his his you know where he makes his money basically, where he puts the the pen to paper. Uh, with interior D line though, we're seeing guys like Aaron Donald and Ed Oliver, who and Aaron Donald really started to pave the way for this. You know he was a, a, a teens first round pick. I think he went twelfth overall. Um, but still, Aaron Donald has been the most dominant single defensive player with the exception of maybe J.J. Watt over the last decade. And, I mean, it's, it's really not even that close. And he dominated in things like agility, short area quickness. Not necessarily long speed. You don't need that when you're an interior D lineman. And you don't even necessarily need crazy bench press. Geno Atkins has crazy bench press, but he's like a one-tech. He's a nose tackle. So for interior D line, the disruptors on the interior, which is so valuable, guys like Chris Jones or we just saw Ed Oliver go ninth to the Bills. Things like short area quickness and the agility and the balance to make moves in space, 
Uh, and obviously, you know, the finesse tools and all that are important, but you can't really measure that at the combine. Those are the three positions that I highlight there. Um, yeah. So, um, like for the, the linemen too, like, um, they run the 40 obviously, but really like scouts, they don't look at the 40 time. They look at that first 10 yard split because that mm-hmm. really just shows their like quick burst and acceleration getting off the ball. And then also like the jumping is a great way to show like the, another measure of the lower body, um, like power too. I mean, even though their numbers aren't going to be as high as the receivers usually, that's because these guys are 260, 290, and they're still <laughs> and they're still jumping 30 inches. Like you plug those numbers into a calculator, see how much force they're putting out, and they're generating like you know 10% more force than the 40-inch vertical from the wide receivers. It's absurd. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a position, and we're seeing the emphasis being put more and more on all three of those, right? Covering the pass passing to guys downfield with the wide receivers and then rushing the quarterback from the interior. So it makes sense why the combine uh, matters for them. And also, you know, why those guys are are starting to get noticed more and it's more quantifiable. Now there's sort of a mixed bag for these next five position groups to me. And we'll start with quarterback. And the reason quarterback is kind of a mixed bag is so much of what a quarterback brings to the table is not quantifiable, right? At least not in terms of running or, or how far you can throw. Look at Tom Brady. He had one of the worst combine performances ever, but he's, he's probably the greatest of all time, uh, at, at least by output. Uh, hold your tongue, Jeff. <laughs> uh, so quarterback, the reason I put it in the mixed bag category is because we're seeing an increasing emphasis by the NFL on having that dual threat capability. We're no longer seeing guys like like Tom Brady necessarily being okay. Oh, the NFL teams aren't necessarily okay with someone just being a pocket passer. Dwayne Haskins was you know, taken 15th overall without a trade-up, I think in part because of his athletic ability was questioned. Uh, if he had even close to the speed of Kyler Murray, he probably would have approached number one overall like like Kyler Murray did. Um, and so other than that, other than the, you know, kind of the, the raw athletic ability, the ability to move in space, I don't think quarterback really needs to go to a, the combine. You know, they're going to be looking at how, how hard can they throw a 40-yard out or a 20-yard out to the sideline. Uh, obviously, the cognitive ability is hugely important, too. Now, with linebackers, the quarterback of the defense, so to speak, the reason I put them in the mixed bag category is, uh, again, linebackers are so instinctual. It's so much about the ability to actually tackle, to break down and tackle in space, to rush the pass or to block shed. You can't really quantify that at the combine. But look at Devin White, the guy I already mentioned. He went fifth overall because of his 40 time. And they teams realized that what showed up on tape was that 4 4 40 significance of that means that he can go play sideline to sideline you hear that a million times when there's a guy of his caliber of his speed level uh in the draft and anytime he's on the field uh running backs running back is kind of a mixed bag because as jeff and i have talked about before what really matters with running backs is the ability to catch the ball and pass protect and the rushing ability is significantly influenced by the offensive scheme and the and the actual production and the ability by the offensive line uh, to create space. So what we really are looking for are those two cat, uh, attributes, and those aren't really quantifiable at the combine, but a running back that can have a, like, 4 4 Like, look at Justice Hill, for instance. Justice Hill's small, uh, but and he had pretty decent hands in college, but his, his combine numbers were fantastic. He fell in the draft of the fourth round. It was kind of surprising. And then you look at a guy like Saquon Barkley. He's got everything on tape, but also every single metric at the combine lit up for him so 
it can still differentiate players from from others in, in technically the same tier. Uh, if your speed number is significantly higher based on your, you know, weight adjusted speed score. Um, yeah, for, for running backs too, it's almost more just like, do they meet a threshold of athleticism? Like, can they at least run a four, six forty? Can they like at least, you know, through like jump testing show this much, like, you know, vertical building, like change of direction skills. Like it's, it's not really much added value in running like, uh, you know, four four five. Now that being said, the two starting running backs in the Super Bowl also have four four two and four four five forties. So it obviously doesn't hurt. But neither one of them were even drafted. So, right. um, but you're gonna see like guys like Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift. Like it, it doesn't really. It's not really gonna help their stock by testing through the roof. Well, I mean, maybe they will if like someone does come out and puts out an absolute freak show. Like yeah, I could probably like propel them up into the first round um, or a top of the running back class, but it really shouldn't matter that much. Like, you know, their production and tape is really um, what's going to cause their, uh, you know, draft capital. And, and, the, and then I think the other thing we also kind of glanced over was like, especially quarterbacks, linebackers, this, I mean, they're meeting with all, excuse me, all the teams and um, like chalkboard sessions and stuff too. I think that's really what matters for a lot of these guys. And we just aren't privileged to, uh, to see that go on behind the scenes. Yeah. The cognitive ability is obviously enormously important for a quarterback or the quarterback of the defense. Uh, A guy we mentioned earlier, Devin Singletary actually had a really bad combine. His spark score was 12th percentile. He ran a four, six, six 40 at only 203 pounds. That's eight. That's 15th percentile speed score. Uh, his highest percentile of anything was his burst score, 47th percentile. Not a good showing, but the other reason that they're in the mixed bag category, running back set is, is that it's very difficult to quantify the ability to break tackles. And so those numbers speak to someone's ability to run down the sideline when the whole team's chasing you, but it doesn't necessarily speak to your ability to, you know, make the first or second or even third man miss. So running backs in the mixed bag category. Tight ends. Tight ends are in a situation where they are also in the mixed bag because they're a hybrid position themselves, right? They're kind of like a wide receiver and an offensive lineman at the same time. Uh, the ability for, for an offensive lineman to block effectively comes down to much more than their, their measurables, the quantifiable, you know, how many bench presses, bench reps can they do? That's not really a good judge of, of how, how well someone can pass protect when Khalil Mack's running your way. Tight ends, they're, they're asked to not only pass protect, but run block and also get downfield and catch the ball, run effectively in and out of routes. So uh, tight ends, obviously, though, you know, we saw TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, two Iowa tight end products, uh, do really, really, really well at the combine, especially Noah Fant. And they're two future, uh, you know, stellar tight ends in the league, most likely. George Kittle, another Iowa tight end, had one of the best, you know, if you just look at his playerprofiler.com charts, it's absurd. Everything is, is jacked up. Um, and then last but not least, in the mixed bag category is offensive tackle. And the reason I put offensive tackles in this is, is again, you can't really quantify their ability to pass protect or run block just by looking at these measurables. But one thing that we do want to look at for offensive tackles is their ability to be agile in space, to have change of direction, uh, and that sort of thing. So, you know, three cone drills, uh, 10 second split, uh, or 10 yard split rather. Um, 
is important for especially if you're going to be you know protecting out in space on a screen something that's increasingly valuable you know space blocking uh is as a part of nfl offenses these days you know tight end we're looking at 40 times agility scores but you know if you run a four seven i think hawkinson ran a four seven two this guy's going to be a stellar tight end in the league and i'm not really that concerned about that number um Moving on to the least, you know, positions where it's the combine is least important, interior offensive line. These guys are not really out in space that much. They're really, you know, they're relying on the guy to their right and the guy on their left, and it's communicating, especially centers. That's another element where the cognitive ability is really important, your understanding of the game uh, and what the other side is trying to do. It The combine, to me, I, I don't really care too much, to be honest. I'm looking way more at their tape and you know, their PFF grade, situations like that, that's more cumulative and what these guys do actually under pressure. Another another position where I think it's less important is the edge. Uh, you know, if you look at a guy like Chase Young, I don't think anyone has any concerns about his athletic testing. But at the same time, you know, look at like Nick Bosa, for instance. Not necessarily blowing anyone off the page just by looking at his playerprofiler.com charts. You know, his, his numbers weren't amazing by any means. But that's because this guy is such so much more than just a raw athlete, right? He's got the finesse. He's got the hand movement, that sort of thing. So, you know, pass rush ability is not entirely dependent on raw athleticism. And then safeties. Safeties, you don't, like, look at Jamal at. Oh, I would say Bosa did have 86th percentile agility score, though, which is pretty solid. It's good. But, I mean, yeah. look at his speed score, his bench press, like, nothing, yeah. nothing crazy. Nope. Oh, interesting. His best comparable player is Joey Bosa. <laughs> uh, who would have thought? Uh, actually, his bench press was 86 percentile. But uh, so like he's got like that short speed and like the you know the upper body strength coming off the ball. Right. And yeah. Bo- and Joey Bosa, his older brother, 94th percentile agility score, and everything else was 55th or less. Uh, with his 40 yard dash being 33rd percentile. So, you know, both these guys are absolute freaking studs. And the combine doesn't tell the full story there. Yeah, Bet Bosa's pissed he didn't get to go to the White House this year, though. <laughs> uh, and so, last but not least, we got safeties here. And for safeties, I look at a guy like Jamal Adams, definitely one of the you know uh, game breakers on any given play. Six foot two fourteen, stellar you know stellar player. Uh, his highest percentile in any in any uh, category was agility, sixty eighth percentile. His burst score was 10th percentile. I mean, like, this guy still went 6th overall. Uh, he's still an amazing player and uh, can, can kind of do it all. So I'm going to look up Tyron Matthew real quick and just see where we're at with him. Let's see here. Tyron Matthew, 77th percentile, 40 score, 78th percentile agility. Everything else is below 32nd percentile. So, um, like we said, less important for some positions more important for others. It's important to recognize that. Um, and when we're when we're looking at this NFL Combine class as a whole, let's start by talking about the strongest position groups in this class, Jeff. And to me, the way that I see it, and there's some debate here, not really for the first one, but top three position groups to me, wide receiver, offensive tackle, and quarterback. Uh, quarterback, I think, is the one that's kind of on the fringe, but we can talk about that later. Without a doubt, wide receiver class the wide receiver position group is the strongest in this class and uh we're looking at a seemingly historic wide receiver class in 2020 the combine will do a lot to sort things out we already talked about it's more important for wide receivers and other positions 
this absolutely loaded class has uh, a lot of you know relative uh, ambiguity in terms of who should be top ten, who should be top five. Jeff and I like to look at these guys in tiers anyway because it's really hard to sort out. One player is certainly going to be better than the other because of his 40 score. You know, you just can't really do that. Um, one particular thing to highlight is all eyes will be on Henry Ruggs 40 time as he has a real chance to come near or even beat John Ross's all-time 40 record. Uh, I think that's a legitimate possibility. We'll get to prop bets and in in such late, later, as well as talking a little bit more about specific guys in this class. Jeff, overall, do you agree that the wide receiver cl- uh, position group is the strongest uh, position group in this 2020 class? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've been talking about how strong this class is since last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, Mel Kuyper has, I think, struggled with math, but he said there's going to be 25 going in the first three rounds, which is a little hyperbolic, but I, uh, I mean, there's are a bunch of like probably 12. I mean, if you had 12 guys go in the, like, the first hundred picks, I don't or, think you know, I don't first, think 25 is is that much, Jeff. I think 35 is the record, and it went in that that many in the, went in, in the first three rounds. Yeah, 35 in the first three round was in 2017, I believe. I think Darren Jeremiah said that. Really? Wow, that'd be that'd be a lot. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like, it's still, I mean, your top five are, like, Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, Regor, Chenault, probably, are the top five, um, all have a really good chance to go in the first round, um, and then you have, some, like, T. Higgins, I mean, he was someone who was also being considered a first round by some, um, it's going to be a, definitely a little, like, controversial on the internet, not that it, any of this matters, but... You know, I think draft Twitter is really going to be debating who's who's the best and who's not the receiver. But part of that is because they are all so good. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, last year, only Hollywood Brown and Nikhil Harry won the first round. And some people even thought Brown was a little bit of a stretch. Um, now, the second round ended up being pretty solid with Debo, Brown, um, A.J. Brown, that is, and yeah. Metcalf, not our Sega Whiteside. <laughs> um, so, I mean, part of that is also perhaps... You know, maybe it's inefficiency in NFL scouting still. It's never going to be a perfect science. Um, and they do seem to be better at some positions than others. And for some reason to me, it seems like wide receiver is a position that they've struggled to consistently uh, like prospect. Um, you know, if you look at three years ago, you had John Ross, Mike Williams, and Corey Davis all go in the top 10. And then I think it was that same draft class had Juju, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, and Cooper Cup all go in like the second and third round. I, you know, this so for some reason there just seems to be like something missing. And um, you know, obviously you can look at Ross. And be like, okay, well the four-two-two combined with really good production at Washington. Like Williams was, you know, Clemson. Corey Davis, well, he's somebody who was playing against weaker competition, but was able to dominate that competition. I think he was a little bit on the like older side though. So um, I think this is like receiver is a position where the fantasy community is almost um, kind of like been leading a little bit of the charge into like the analytics used by the fantasy community are almost like now leaking into the NFL with metrics such as breakout age and dominator rating and trying to like contextualize some of their production. So like Van Jefferson is a prospect that a lot of people, especially film guys, really like, and he had a really good senior bowl for himself. He's also 23 years old already. Like, 
that has to factor into your like prospecting. Like, hey, you know, there's like 25 guys in the NFL who caught more than 40 passes last year who are younger than him still. So like that has to be factored in as well. Yeah, very true. Um, and you know, another thing to just look at when we're kind of evaluating how teams drafted, you look at um, Marquise Brown and Nikhil Harry went in the first round last year. And then, like you said, Debo, um, A.J. Brown, and we'll, ma- we'll focus on mainly those two, had stellar rookie years. But look at who they played with. I mean, A.J. Brown was v- hyper-efficient with one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league, Ryan Tannehill there. Now it's a chicken and egg oh. thing. And then Debo well, Samuel. It's, like, it's not like Tannehill has always been efficient, though. No, you're right. But he had a oh. phenomenal year, and it wasn't just yeah. thrown to A.J. Brown. And it, right. was, it was the offense as a whole, too. And then the other, on the other uh, no, uh, the other one we're talking about is Debo, and he was with Kyle Shanahan, who's one of the best offensive minds in the league, if not the best offensive mind. And Debo was efficient and all around the field, getting the ball everywhere. And and that's exactly how a guy like Debo should have been used. You know, then he go on the other side of the coin. Well, it's not like Marquise Brown lacked for qu- good quarterback play. He had the freaking MVP behind him, uh, Lamar. But Mar- Marquise Brown struggled with injuries. Uh, and then Nikhil Harry, same thing. And you know. He had Tom Brady, who had a statistically pretty poor year and wasn't really able to get much out of his receivers. But when he was on the field, he was pretty decent in the red zone. So um, anyway, it's going to be interesting to continue to evaluate these guys. And and we're going to talk about the wide receiver position a little bit more in a second. Um, Another really, really strong position group this year and another very important position is offensive tackle Um, with the likes of Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Someone I've been thinking about since last year as one of the top prospects in this class. Jedrick Wills from Bama, someone who's really stormed onto the scene uh, with his with his year this year. Andrew Thomas from Georgia, another guy who's been talked about so much that he's actually kind of falling out of people's minds as as a top prospect. And uh, for the likes of someone like Mackay Becton from Louisville, who is storming out of the scene because he's six seven three seventy and he moves like a like a little ballerina. Uh, Josh Jones from Houston. Uh, a guy that some talking heads on networks have missed on and thought that he was like the 22nd in his in his position group when other players, other people who are actually watching film and studying these these players are looking at him as a, a first round pick. Uh, really interesting prospect. And then Austin Jackson from Southern Cal. All six are seen as potential first round picks. All six could play tackle at the next level. Not all six will. I you know bet on that. Um, real quick aside here, I think we'll see Worf's. Tristan Wirfs, the first guy I mentioned, as a big winner at the Combine. He's a massive athletic freak at the tackle position. He's my offensive tackle one. I believe he was number one on, um, who was that, Bruce Felder's uh, freak, freak list from last summer. And, yeah, he's an absolute stud. And so my last of the super strong position groups, and this one's not super strong, but I think it's a good class and it's quarterback, and it's led by Joe Burrow. It comes off the best single season we've ever seen at the quarterback position in college. Obviously played at an extremely high level, did it against very high-level competition. Don't need to say anything more about Joe Burrow. He's phenomenal. Uh, there shouldn't really be any doubts about him, I don't think. Tuatago Bailoa obviously is up there as well, and health appears to be the only question mark for him. Um, and you know we'll, we'll talk about Tua more down the road, but I think it's pretty clear that he's an exceptional prospect if you remove the health question mark. Um, and by all accounts, he's making strides there. Uh, then we've got a huge ceiling in Justin Herbert, a controversial prospect whose athletic profile is is very, very strong. 
but, you know, kind of up and down and consistent, has a big arm, but, you know, the accuracy is important. I think he's going to be kind of looking like a more pocket passer-ish Josh Allen coming into the draft. Um, obviously, Allen ended up going seventh overall. Interesting prospects uh, like Jalen Hurts and Jake Frommer in this class, and we'll talk about them. Uh, both, I think, are a little underrated by the public and have a good chance to actually be contributors in the NFL. And then you add in Jordan Love, Jacob Eason. We've got potential for north of three or four franchise quarterbacks in this class, and that's a pretty decent class. You know, We're getting spoiled by guys like Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes coming right in. Lamar Jackson just being fucking studs, basically. Lamar Jackson took a little bit more time. Um, but this is a good quarterback class, and I, uh, I'm excited to dive more into it. And I think the, like we said, quarterback is a little interesting just for their athletic profiles. Jalen Hurts, you know, he could run, come in and run a sub four six forty. I think that would go a long way to telling some teams that, hey, this guy could be like a Russell Wilson type, which was my comp for him when he was playing back like his freshman and sophomore year. I said, this guy reminds me of Russell Wilson, the way he moves around, the way he's a leader. And obviously, you know, he, he ended up leaving Alabama and had a really, really strong year. He was in Heisman contention at Oklahoma. Um, so with that said, Jeff, any complaints about offensive tackle or quarterback being listed as strong position groups? And what's the other class that you want to highlight here? Uh, no, I think they're both right. Um, you know, I think well, comment on about for the uh, tackles is they are like pretty top heavy. Those top guys you mentioned are all like, you know, really solid. But I think that's just like a big cliff there where it's like receivers just like deep as well. Um, yeah, I, th- I don't really like a lot of the quarterbacks behind like Burrow and Tua. Um, you know, I probably would actually put Hurts as my number three quarterback, honestly. I don't think Herbert's going to be good. But like, in terms of like draft capital invested into these guys, uh, yeah, I think it would be fair to list them as like number three in that group, though. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think Herbert, like I said, is going to be super controversial. It'll be int- he had a really strong senior bowl by all accounts. Um, Jake Fromm, I mean, he's a guy who's been on the radar since his freshman year and has kind of fallen from grace in some eyes. But he's a guy I see as a solid game manager type. And, you know, not everyone's going to want that, but not, you know, not everyone will will regard that as a very strong uh, trait. But um, and Jordan Love is seen as a guy that has a huge ceiling, but isn't ready to play right away. So, you know, we've seen that pay off in the past for other teams. Um some of the other position groups that we haven't talked about yet, running back, really deep this year, I think. Not a clear elite prospect. I, I would be absolutely shocked if we saw a running back go before pick 20. Absolutely shocked, truly. Um, you know, in, in years past, we're seeing, like, Josh Jacobs mocked to the Tampa Bay Bucks at fucking five overall. Like, like what was that, man? That was so stupid. Um, you know, he's a good running back, sure. But we already know that running backs don't necessarily matter except for outside of certain uh, categories and situations. Um, but with that said, running backs are actually really deep. We've got guys like DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, um, Clyde Edward-Hilaire, I think is a guy who's really come out of the scene, and he's very reminiscent of Ray Rice. I've been saying that since I started watching him um, and LSU's run this year. Does he have a good right hook? He, We're not going to get there with CEH but, uh, <laughs> or Ray Rice, but... I see what you did there. <laughs> Dude, that, uh, fourth, that fourth and 29, he converted. It's stupid. That was still one of like the best plays I've ever seen. Dude, Clyde the Glide 
Clyde the Juke. I mean, the way this guy puts his foot in the ground is disgusting. And the way he sets up one juke by by juking and before that is just, I mean, that's NFL talent right there. I'd be very surprised to see this guy fall beyond the third round. Um, and that's around where I think running backs really start to have value is a third round pick. So he's on my radar for sure. Yeah, Cam Akers, I really like in this class as well. Yep. I, mean, he's, I think a lot of people are going to kind of like look at some of the box scores and like his yards per carry uh, was not great, but that's because Florida State's offensive line was just terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still had like an 89th percentile dominator rating. And um, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, and there's another guy I want to highlight, but I'll get to him in a guys to watch section. Uh, moving on to uh, some of the more shallow positions that are a little more top heavy, and there are two big ones, and they're on the defensive line, interior D, D, D line, excuse me, and edge. I'm a fan of this interior D line class. It's led by South Carolina standout Javon Kinlaw, um, absolute stud, freak of nature. Uh, super excited to see him at the next level. And very hyped Auburn stud Derek Brown. I mean, these are two guys that are vying for uh, number one status in the interior D line. Derek Brown has had the edge on Javon Kinlaw for a long time. Brown has been seen as a really top prospect. Uh, he's been comped in Dominican Sioux. That's high praise. And Kinlaw has been coming on of late. He was a Juco product. He had a really, really strong end of his career in Carolina. And I think Kinlaw is going to be a guy that we're going to see blow up the combine. Um or blow up, blow up measurables and you know pro day that sort of thing. Uh, both are interior disruptors and will provide that mixture of run stuffing and in the face pressure for opposing QBs that we value so much nowadays with guys like Donald and Chris Jones and hopefully Ed Oliver uh, paving the way in that category. And then with Edge, obviously led by Chase Young, many people have have regarded him as the best overall prospect in this class at the second most position in football. I have no problem with that. With that praise, uh, he's seemingly the next great D-end out of Ohio, the Ohio State University. Uh, and his pure athletic dominance, to me, it's reminiscent of Jadavian Clowney. I mean, you just look at his body, you're like, oh my god, this guy doesn't belong <laughs> with mortal men. Uh, he's likely to just fall short of the first overall pick, like where Clowney went, 1-1 overall. Um, I don't need to say anything else about Chase Young. We know what kind of guy he is, uh, what kind of prospect that is. Uh, I also really like A.J. Apinesa. I've been talking about Apinesa since last year, an Iowa guy. And it was so fun to see clips of him going up against Tristan Wirfs and Alaric Jackson, the two tackles from Iowa. And Apinesa really held his own. He's someone I think could climb in the first round. He's in the first round conversation for sure already. But I'm saying climb within it toward the early teens or even top 10 status if he smokes the combine. And the other thing is wide receiver value could be depressed by how deep the group is. So even though there's certainly guys that would go top 10, I think, uh, in other years, uh, they could push their own value down by there being so many of them. And A.J. Panesa could be one of the guys to benefit. He's a really safe prospect by all accounts. But I think it's I – th- I saw this by Thor, Thor Nystrom, the guy I mentioned earlier. He says it's not fair to call him a safe prospect because what that does is that discounts his, his ceiling to be an excellent, versatile, unique player. And I think that's spot on. Apinesa is really exciting. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of mocks with him going to the Dolphins around their 18th or 26th overall pick. I think that would be a fantastic landing spot um, for him. And with that said, Jeff, I think it's time to start to talk about guys we're ready to watch at the Combine. Guys Ooh, to keep one, our eyes One DN I really like in this class, too, is Alton Robinson coming out of my alma mater, Syracuse University. There you go. You heard it here, folks. He's like a third-round prospect right now, but I think he'll he's pretty solid. 
Whoever gets in the third round will be getting a, a good pick right there. We like to hear it. We, you know, no problem. With a little home cooking, alma mater home cooking. Um, all right, starting with offense here, guys to watch. We already talked about the wide receiver class a little bit, but you know, not it's not that all that matters. But forty time will be huge for divvying up this loaded class. I think that will be a thing that you define tiers with. If a guy like T Higgins runs below a four six five, or you know, runs slower than four six five, I think you're going to see him fall out of contention for that top tier despite his contested catch ability shout out contested catch um guys that we're going to be watching lavisca chenault obviously we talked about his potential ceiling and athletic profile the bama wide receivers we have not talked about this guy at all we talked about rugs already but jerry judy so when jeff and i are kind of at odds at i've been kind of drooling over judy since you know for a long time and thinking his speed um was maybe not up to par with rugs but rivaled it and this is where the rubber meets the road. I think Judy is probably going to be around 4-4 or less uh, if he's above that. I think the line is set at 4-4-4. Um, it's fair, I suppose. I, you know, I could be wrong, but on, on tape, his short area quickness is just – I, I can't get into it right now. Uh, Jalen Ragor and T. Higgins are two other guys we already kind of talked about, but the 40 time will matter for them. The jumps will matter for both of them because if Higgins has phenomenal jump numbers – Higgins is kind of – it's worrying me, Jeff, because I, I really liked him as a freshman. I was salivating over T. Higgins as a freshman. And I'm starting to worry that we're looking at the next coming of Kelvin Benjamin. What do you think of that comp? Um, I mean, I think it is sort of in his range of outcomes, but he is a much better prospect than um, Benjamin, in my opinion. Uh, I think I think he projects more as like a poor man's Mike Evans – which is still like a really good player, um, but it's not quite worth spending that first round pick on, especially in today's NFL. Um, is, I mean, Higgins, 19.8 yards per reception, which is 93rd percentile, and that's in the ACC. Uh, I guess it's an okay conference. And then, yeah. you know, breakout age of 18.6 at Clemson, 96th percentile. He's 21 years old. Um, you know, that's. Those are like more in line with what we saw out of Mike Evans, whereas we look at Calvin Benjamin, um, he he had like a still pretty solid 18.7 yards per catch by the time he was done, but his breakout age was 22.6. Yeah, like sixth percentile breakout age. So, James Winston. Um, he, yeah, I mean, really, that's what it was. he was just you know at that point he's just bigger and older than everybody, so he just kind of. You know, catch the jump balls from... 6'5", 240. Yeah, you know, from Squinston. So, um, you know, he's... Um, you know, Higgins is a much better prospect than Benjamin, but I think he's more of a second-round pick in uh, today's game. And, I like, you know, he'll still be a good player. I just don't think in this year's class in particular he really quite, like, stands out. I love that analysis, Jeff. Well done. Um, you know who had a better breakout age than Higgins? The Brian Edwards class. Yes, Brian sir. Edwards. Brian Edwards, South Carolina. Like 17.8, I think. 17.8, exactly. And, you know, it's really a shame because Brian Edwards broke his foot training for the combine. Um, this was a guy that I thought we were going to see big things from. He's 6'3", two, in his 220s. Uh, I thought we were going to see pretty good speed from him, somewhere in around the 4.5s. Um, maybe even less than that, probably not, but maybe. And great contested catchability, made some absolutely stupid catches in college. Uh, I think he's going to be a steal. If he falls to the third round, dude, I will be hammering 
any kind of way to take credit <laughs> for any team that profits off that pick. Um, okay, other guys we're looking at on offense at the Combine. My question for you, Jeff, is can anyone separate from the pack between Swift, Taylor, and Dobbins as the, the seeming top-tier running backs there? Well, I think Akers has the best chance to threaten those three, and I think it'll be Swift who would fall if uh, any of them do. Um, I mean, Taylor is, in my opinion, the running back one. He's just really the full package, and he's been producing basically since he stepped onto campus. Uh, Dobbins, see, Dobbins, like, he had, like, a pretty solid freshman year, and then splitting carries as a sophomore, and then really took back control of the um, backfield this third year. And I also think having the, uh, like, the vividness of the playoffs, the college football playoffs, it was really going to stand out still in a lot of, like, scouts and uh, football guys' mind of, you know, performing on the big stage. So I think it's really going to be between those two for the running back one. And then, in my opinion, it's Akers versus Swift for running back three. Well, Jonathan Taylor, to me, I, man, my old self would have been drooling over this guy. You know what <laughs> I mean? You, you know me, Jeff. I used to be a big uh, run-the-damn-ball kind of guy. Um, I've, I've been rehabilitated. Um, almost. Almost, yeah. I mean, you still spend $40 on David Montgomery. Hey, and, fantasy is a different situation. And then how much on Leonard Fournette? You still love Leonard Fournette, dude. Yeah, Leonard Fournette, 42, 42 bucks for Lenny. That was a great pick. Give me a goddamn break, Jeff. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor, as a prospect, my main concern with him is his ability to be a pass catcher out of the backfield. I don't think there's any question about his ability to run the ball. He, he, had, a 10%, many, he had a 10% target share this year. Right, right, 26 receptions on 36 targets. That is higher than I was expecting uh, based on you know kind of how I viewed him as a prospect. Um, 76% uh, percentile, that is, target share. That it's very solid, and I think his athletic numbers are going to be way, way up there. Um, he will vie for first for first picked, but you know, a guy like DeAndre Swift, um, I think has probably the leg up on him because people see him as someone who can line up all over the field, kind of like an Alvin Kamara type. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. But Jeff, the guy that I want you to keep your eye on, okay? AJ Dillon. Do you know who AJ Dillon is? The name rings a bell. Uh, A.J. Dillon is the running back out of Boston College, and you are going to love this guy's profile because he's right up my alley. Six foot, 245 pounds. Okay, he plays at 250. But let's 95th get percentile BMI. Yeah, let's get something straight here, all right? This motherfucker. That motherfucker. He, he plays at like like 6% body fat or something. If you watch this, if you throw on this guy's tape, he is actually relatively agile for his size. He's an absolute bowling ball. His legs are tree trunks. This guy, to me, is like the ne- the second coming of Brandon Jacobs. Seriously. Um, I think he's actually got a really good place in the NFL as, as a big bruiser. I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that transitions to fullback. He was pretty damn productive. Um you know, college target share it was not good. He did not was not asked to catch a ball Dude, a lot he's of fucking college. shredded. Damn. He is yoked at 250 pounds. Uh, 81st percentile college dominator, which is good to see. And he does have a lot of tread on or sorry, he has a lot of wear on his tires, I should say, uh, as is Jonathan Taylor. But this is a guy I actually have my eye on for the Bills to target as a potential fourth round, fifth round pick. 
1,500 yards as a freshman? Mm -hmm. Was he a redshirt or true? Uh, True, I believe. And Uh, he's he's about to be 22. So yeah, 21. Uh, I actually that I have to keep my eye on him too. Yeah, 100 percent, man. This guy, and if you just look at his body, (laughs) I I am. (laughs) His legs, he looks like Saquon. So I'm getting combine like pre combine pictures like we did with Metcalf. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you're stacking. So the way that I have kind of categorized AJ Dillon is a beefed up Saquon. I don't think he is going to be as fast or as agile as Saquon. I don't think he's going to test as well. But he apparently, allegedly ran a 4-4, Jeff. This guy, six foot, 250 pounds, ran a 4-4, electric, electronically timed. He is a guy I'm keeping my eye on at the Combine for sure. Now, two more guys for me, uh, and, and obviously let you finish up with anyone on offense too. Tristan Wirfs, already mentioned him. I just want to reiterate that you guys need to keep your eye on him uh, during testing this week because if he he's my OT1, offensive tackle number one in that position group, and I think he should be everyone's, and I think he very, very, very well could be after this combine. And then last one is Jalen Hurts. Like I said, if he runs a, a, a sub 4-6 with his college production, his leadership ability – I think people are going to look at him like a Russell Wilson type player that people have been sleeping on as a prospect. I said that a long time ago in our group meet, Jeff, and I got laughed at for saying that uh, Jalen Hurts reminded me of like a Russell Wilson type. And I think that, you know, like you said, he, he's he's potentially your third quarterback on this board. I think that if someone gets him in the second, like a Carolina, if Carolina stays off quarterback in the first and goes after someone like Isaiah Simmons to potentially fill the void left by Luke Keekley, that would be really interesting. Uh, anyone else on offense for you, Jeff, to keep your eye on at the combine? Um, not yet. Um, you know, I've really just been looking at this through like a lens of the Bills slash fantasy so far. So that's basically this year's a real heavy overlap of um, wide receiver with a little bit of like offensive tackle or DN mixed in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once we, you know, finish the combine and get more into the draft, I'll really, you know, go through the other positions too. Um, I've just started looking at this year's cornerback class. Um, obviously, the uh, Jeffrey Okuda at the top might, is probably a top five pick. He's been mocked to uh, Detroit a lot, but I think there's looks like there could be some uh, pretty good guys going like that back end of round one, early day two as well. So, um, you know, I want to dig into that a little bit more and hopefully have some more stuff for the next uh, post-combine episode. Yeah, 100%. Um, I've got a couple guys on defense to watch here. And, and, you know, I already talked about Isaiah Simmons a lot, but I just have the question here. How elite will Simmons test? If he comes out and is absolutely fucking twitched up at 230 pounds, if he's running like a 4-4, man, I mean, I don't care what it takes. I laid out a plan for the Bills to acquire Isaiah Simmons and – how that would help Buffalo's defense and take them to the next level, even though we wouldn't be getting a wide receiver in the first round. And I think that is certainly uh, going to be a justified take after he tests at the combine. Uh, Kinlaw versus Brown on the interior D line. I give Kinlaw the edge in athletic testing. I think he's going to come out and dominate. Very excited to see that because Kinlaw has been rising, but Brown has uh, quite, quite the production to unseat. Uh, or it would take a lot for, for Kinlaw to unseat Brown, that is, I should say. Uh, Chase Young doesn't need any, you know, we don't need to say anything more about him to be top two, but it should be fun to watch. And it's just it's just interesting to see guys that big move that fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's going to be interesting. 
And then uh, in the same position group, can Apenesa do enough to warrant top 10 consideration? That's something I'll be watching. He's a guy that I put my, my mark on uh, a long time ago, and I think that testing-wise, people are, are expecting him to underwhelm. We'll see. This is, this is where rubber meets the road. So um, last defensive line guy, this is a guy that many of you may not have heard of, Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma. Number two on Bruce Feldman's freak list from The Athletic, this guy has absolutely stupid numbers. I mean, he so he was playing it at uh, 330 pounds, okay? 330 pounds. Then when he actually decided to uh, shred a little weight, he ended up getting down to 305, and he ended up running a 4.7, I believe it was. He ran a uh, 4.7640 at 303 pounds. Well, the fastest 300-pounder at this year's or last year's uh, NFL scouting combine, Quinnen Williams, this is per Feldman's freak list, ran a 4.83. That was Quinnen Williams. He ran 4.76. This guy's unbelievable. He also bench presses 500 and squats 800, cleans 405. That's stupid. So he's an interesting guy to watch. Obviously, a big-time school, Oklahoma. Um, one of the one of the last. Oh, I just pulled up PFFs. Uh, PFS has one, two, three, four, five, six, six cornerbacks in their top 32 for this class. Mm. Now, granted, part of that is PFF puts a lot more weight onto positional value, so like they're never going to have a running back that high. Definitely, and they, and they have a higher weight on cornerbacks than like the NFL probably does. But yeah, it's going to be a you know Christian Fulton and Okuda at the top, but um, it's going to be an interesting, good class to go through as well. Yeah. I, I think you're right on there, and I think uh, I think that what you just said about PFF putting higher weight on cornerback than the NFL is evidenced by just look at last year. You know, Byron Murphy, really good prospect, fell to the first pick of the second round. Could have been a uh, teens pick because of how good his production was and and his profile was. Uh, Greedy Williams fell to like 243, I think it was, uh, or no, maybe 244 to the Browns. Um, anyway. I, uh, I think PFF is onto something there. We definitely should be waiting cornerbacks, even if they're not elite athletes uh, with the production. The ability to cover the pass is hyper important. And on that topic, Trayvon Diggs. Stephon Diggs' brother, my question is, how twitched up is he? This guy has a his huge frame, really long arms, six foot two. Uh, the question is, if he runs out and runs four five, a sub four five, I will be very interested to see how high his stock can climb. I think Okuda right now is being mocked a lot to the Lions because it makes a lot of sense, uh, especially with them getting rid of like Quandre Diggs. But I think that is a somewhat foolish mock because even though Okuda is a stud and I think he's going to test really well, he could justify that. Uh, I think Simmons is a better prospect, and I think Simmons will do a lot more for for a defense. And I think the Lions are going to end up trading out anyway. So I don't think. Okuda is going to end up being a top five pick. I think he will probably end up being a steal at a, like a seven, eight, nine spot maybe. And what I'm starting to see him fall into in mocks a lot is potentially all the way down to the Jags at nine. And I think that's a really interesting spot for him to land. If he did, I think that's a little bit of kind of like making things fit perfectly and pretty. But uh, if that were to happen, that would be one of the best landing spots I could think of for Okuda. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Get rid of Ramsey for two first-round picks and then get a replacement for him right away. Um, I still think there's a good chance that the Lions, uh, even if they traded back to like five, they, they would end up with Jeffries because um, 
basically you know, Matt Patricia is a Bill Belichick wannabe. And you can see he's really kind of trying to like, make the Lions into Patriots NFC. And what do the Patriots have right now? And what did he have there? He has Stephon Gilmore. So I think that Patricia wants his Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he definitely could. Um, I think there's a question about will the Lions even consider a quarterback at this point? I don't know that they should. I think they just really need to get Stafford some more help on that offensive line, hopefully try to keep him upright. Guy's an absolute warrior back there. Um, but, yeah, that defense, Patricia came, was brought in as a defensive coach. We thought that was going to be the focus was a ground-and-pound game on offense and a defensive-minded defensive, defensive uh, coach keep the score low. That wasn't the case. They threw a hell of a lot last year um, to Kenny Galladay owners, uh, you know, joy. But, um, yeah, that'll be interesting, man. Anyone else that you want to highlight to watch on defense at the combine? No, not really. I think right. receivers. Well, if you're still listening, folks, you are in luck here. We have we are now going to be covering some NFL Combine prop bets. So and hopefully we can make some money. Yes, for you that's guys. that's the goal. Um, first stuff, Jeff. Yeah, I am I'm a three and zero on the XFL thus far. You're right. I'm like you're sort right. of sort of a savant. <laughs> I, self-proclaimed savant just has so much credibility i love it uh well okay so so i think i posted this in the group chat uh last week when the lines first came out houston was minus six against tampa and i just went and hammered it at minus six right away because like houston top two team probably tampa bottom two team and then uh the line closed like seven and a half or eight depending on the book and Houston won by seven. Nice. Well done. Well like, done. If, if I just waited until day of the game or night before to get it, I'd lose that bet. But nope. Savant status achieved. Well yeah. done. Well, the other thing is, guys, if you're listening and you're interested in uh, potentially hearing about Jeff's XFL model, which is the adapt adapted for XFL DFS um, from what we were working on at the end of last season for NFL DFS, uh, Feel free to slide in his DMs, at Stats. You know where to find him. Um, all right, Jeff. First prop we're going to talk about here is, can anyone break John Ross's 40 record of 4.22 seconds? No is minus 1,000. Yes, plus 5.50. I think I know where we both are going to put a value play on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're It's way too much money to actually risk it on the no. Plus, it's, it's no fun. Um, exactly. You know, Rod's... It's like betting the under, man. I'd rather lose on the over. <laughs> yeah, so Ruggs at plus 550 is basically what you're taking. Um, yeah, I think he ran like a 4-2-5 at Bama's junior pro day last year. Now, he kind of – those are like Bama times. So they could have maybe a little – I don't say like doctored, but you know they might be a little quick on the finger. Um, and it's hand time, whereas the NFL is all digital – the combine and those are the digital times are usually like about three hundredths, I think, uh, slower. But now he's also training specifically for this test. So exactly. you know, perfect starting, like you know, everything's just like mechanical at this point. So will he run a four two one? I think there's a really good chance. Um, you know, I, that value at plus five fifty um, is you know really love it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to throw a 10 spot on that at least. But an even better bet to me, Jeff, because we're only talking about him. You know, Regor is definitely going to be very fast. I mean, it, actually, just a straight-up head-to-head there. 
uh, Ruggs to be the faster player than Regor specifically is minus 400 for Ruggs plus 250 for Regor. Um, but I think the better bet than actually that, well, per, perhaps safer bet than the than the John Ross bet um, is straight up on uh, the fastest NFL 40 time, and that is at 429. Uh, slower than 429 is plus 130. Faster is minus 170. I love that bet, man, because I just feel like if Ruggs comes up short of the all-time record, he's going to settle in around like a 427. I would honestly be surprised if he was above 4-3. Uh, maybe that's just because of how gassed up he's been. Like you said, it could just be the Alabama effect, kind of trying to get their guys some more some more clout, so to speak. Um, yeah, that's at least where my head's at, I think. Uh, and like I said, it's no fun if you're not, not rooting mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, I like that. Even though it's minus 170, there's some good juice on it. Um, yeah, I think it's a, that's also a fire bet. Yeah. And Jeff, where are your, where's your head at on this T. Higgins 40 time? Is it faster or slower than 4.57? I think we're at the same spot here, too. I, I got to go slower than 4.57. Um, so coming out of high school, or maybe it was like junior year, uh, whatever, he ran like a, four, a 4.75 40, which is slow. Now, obviously, this is high school. It's three or four years ago. Guys get faster and stronger. So I'm not saying – I'm expecting him to run faster than a 4.75. I think he's going to be more in, like, the 4.6 range. They're, like, 4.6, 4.62. Um, I think if he just breaks 4.6, that's a win for him at the combine. Agreed. Um, so at that point, I don't think he's going to break four, five, seven. So at even, well, I mean, at minus one twenty for both sides, the Vegas a little bit higher on these uh, yeah, lower liquid bets. Um, I really like the slower than four, five, seven for T Higgins. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that 100 percent, man. Um, I'm a, I was a big T Higgins fan early in his career. I do think that there's something to be said for guys training specifically to try to overcome a certain test that people are doubting them on. So I wouldn't really be that surprised if he ran like a four, five, five. I think that'd be amazing for his stock. Uh, I think he would kind of cement himself as a first round pick. If he could run four, five, five or, or faster, um, that would be huge. Um, what else is catching your eye here, Jeff? We got a couple. Ones oh that's... yeah. Mike Evans ran a four, five, three, just for reference. Like yeah. So comparison, cause we've kind of been comping them. Uh, the other, uh, there's the jumping, they have highest vertical jump over under 43 and a half, and then longest broad jump 11 feet, 5 inches. Uh, I think I like the overs on both of them. If I had to pick one, I think I would go the broad jump because, um, I mean, like, cornerbacks and receivers are going to be the ones to contend for this. Uh, Byron Murphy, or I mean, Byron Jones holds the combine record of 12 feet something inches, I think. Let me actually pull that up. Uh, yeah, this is the bet on basically Jalen Regor, right? I mean, he's the guy that uh, – Brian Jones, 12 feet, 3 inches. Wow. Um, I mean, Regor is the guy I have in, in mind, but, you know, again, this is kind of like a physical freak show, so it could be someone else as well. But, yeah, like I said, with Regor being the uh, former track star and almost breaking Marquise Goodwin's record um, record as well, um, he's the one I have. Let's see if they have – what a good one. Hmm. Marquise Goldwyn, 42740, 132 inch broad jump, which is, 
Wait, that's only... 10 feet. Uh, 11 feet. 11 feet. Hmm. So, maybe... Well, I mean, again, a broad jump's different than, uh, like, running long jump, too, though. True. So, uh, I still like the overs on both of those. Okay. And then, um, and then CD Lamb, we're seeing a line of 454. Four. Where is that one? Yeah, CD Lamb 454 four seems a little high to me. Me too. Uh, I thought he was more like high 4.4s four to maybe like a 4.5. So I really, I don't see how he could run slower than a 4.54. Four. Like I could see him running at that. Like, but I think he'd have to have a bad day to hit the like over. So. Um, I'd probably want to hammer the under 454 CD Lamb. I'm right there with you. And there's another one that I know that this is a little more contentious for us. We already kind of talked about it, but Jerry Judy at 444, um, 40, obviously. Um, it's an interesting one. The slower is actually plus 100. The line is shifted in, in uh, favor of faster, minus 140. Um, I think Judy's tape makes him look electric. I mean, he's just so quick in and out of cuts. It's just amazing. And he can really run away from guys. But 40-yard dash, 40-yard dash. It's, you know, just one little microcosm of how truly fast you are in a game. And with the ball in your hands and pads on, it doesn't speak, you know, all that much to it. So that's why you don't shouldn't put too, too much stock into any of these numbers. But um, a couple other ones that are interesting. Uh, I was talking to Jeff before recording this, and I said Jalen Hurts around 4-6 would, would be kind of where I was thinking. And the line is at 4-5-8, and so I feel pretty good about that. Um, faster than four five eights plus one fifty, kind of an interesting bet, but I don't know if it's necessarily a smart one. Um, but w- what did uh, what did Russell run? Russell Wilson. Yeah, I'm gonna look I'm that up. Sure. Real quick. I also like Joe Burrow under four eight one. Yeah, he's dude, like four eight one is four eight one is like borderline slow even for a quarter. It's like average for a quarterback, and I think he's faster than average. So Russell uh, four five five. I wish Lamar ran. I know, me too. <laughs> it's gonna be. Like, I just, I just want to know what his number is. You know, four or threes. <laughs> um, but yeah, man. So I think that this was some pretty interesting uh, a prop discussion there. Four three, four three forty is really good for a running back. <laughs> Not bad for running back, indeed. Uh, all right, folks. So you guys heard our coverage here for the NFL Combine. We obviously have so much more to bring to you in this NFL offseason. We're going to be talking a lot about team needs, um, mocking, and actually, before I go any further, I want to make a quick point about mock drafts, okay? When you're looking at mock drafts this season, you need to keep something in mind, especially if you're looking at early mock drafts, like people who are mocking in like early winter, you know, like December and stuff, or the way too early mock drafts, people are, in a lot of cases, are going to be kind of hot takey. They're going to try to get attention and get, you know, people to be talking about their mock drafts. Uh, I also think it's kind of stupid when people just go with consensus. I don't think that's, I don't know. I, I don't think that's, that's kind of lazy. But the point of a mock draft to me is not to say, oh, it would be kind of fun if we did this or that. Like maybe if you're looking at t- team-specific mocks, like, well, what what could the you know Dolphins do with their first three picks? And you know, maybe then you give them a little, uh, well, it'd be kind of cool if they got Ape and Ace at 18 or something. Um, but in general, a mock draft, in my opinion, should be a predictive tool. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I also think it's kind of silly to handicap mock drafters and not include trades. So these are my feelings on the mock draft. Last year, I had, a, I, had a, I thought, a very good mock draft um, when you run the first round, that is. Uh, and I factored in trades, which is against the rules, I suppose. Um, I'll be doing that again this year. 
And I think that it's going to be interesting as we get closer and after the combine when things start to really shake out. So keep your eye out for that. We've got other stuff coming your way as well. And we're working on trying to get some interesting guests that you guys haven't heard of on Contested Catch yet, um, or heard from, that is, on Contested Catch. And so stay tuned for that. Jeff, any parting thoughts for the season premiere of season two? Uh, No, I am thrilled to be back on the mic with you and uh, back grinding some football. Uh, And like you said earlier, if you have any uh, XFL uh, uh, curiosity or whatever, uh, I'm probably more into it than I should be or is healthy. But uh, yeah, I'm still running that lineup generator for DraftKings and uh, grinding out the comb of the lines to find my best value. And as I said, I'm undefeated so far. So you know, if you got questions, hit me up at Buff Bill Stats. So, yeah. And I recommend it. Um, Jeff's on his stuff there for the XFL. You can't get a lot of great XFL content out there. I think ETR does a pretty good job with it. Um, I am not a subscriber to ETR for the XFL package. PFF does have some stuff, too. Yeah, true. Um, but, yeah, there's uh, there's probably an edge to be gained in, a, in a, an emerging market. So, with that said, folks, appreciate you listening. Hope you enjoyed Season 1, and we hope you're going to enjoy Season 2 even more. Uh, make sure to keep tuning in. We are going to be somewhat irregular with our schedule, as, uh, you know, it's not like every week we're going to have something to talk about necessarily. But we will have a post-combine show where we're talking more about NFL offseason, free agency, and the draft at large. So make sure to tune in then, and we'll catch you next time.